You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. A small company of soldiers was marching into the night. Nobody was talking. They were just marching. They were well-trained soldiers, so a five-mile march was nothing to them. And in one sense, their mission would be really simple. It'd be, it, it would be over like that. In another sense, their mission would be extremely difficult. But they marched on into the night. And when they arrived in the small town, it was quiet. No one was on the streets because it was night. The company fanned out in different directions, each soldier targeting a different house. Uh, they would knock, they would enter, they would search. After a few minutes, there was a scream, then many screams coming from all different directions. There was pleading, you could hear begging, and then there was wailing, and pretty soon the entire town was a chorus of wailing. It was mothers crying for their children. But this didn't stop the the soldiers because they had orders, uh, and they made short work of their targets. The greatest struggle for the soldiers on that night was just trying to ignore their own guilty conscience. And they kept telling themselves, don't think of that baby as a person as you slaughter him. You're just following orders. Before very long, every street in town had several little boys lying in their own blood, dead. Parents were devastated. The town was in shock. Mission accomplished. And as the soldiers marched back out of town, they, they passed a faded sign that had the, the, the name of the town on it. It read, Bethlehem. That's not how we usually think about Bethlehem, is it? Sweet little Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. We like the story about the angels and the shepherds and the magi and gold and frankincense and myrrh. We like the warm, cozy glow of the stable with the ox and the lamb keeping time with the little drummer boy. (laughs) We like that story. We like the birthday party story where everything was bright in Bethlehem because the Savior had been born there. But just a couple months after the Savior was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was the scene of mass murder. Mass murder. King Herod had been appointed by the Romans as the king of Judea, that surrounding region. And so he was basically just a puppet king, but he was very ambitious and he was paranoid and he was brutal. And so when he heard that a rival king had been born in Bethlehem, he gave orders to kill all the little boys, two years old and younger, in the surrounding region around Bethlehem. That was the surest way to get rid of this little rival king. It was darkness what he did. It was darkness. When we think about the Christmas story, we like to think about brightness and light We like that part of the story. But the story, I think, loses its meaning if we don't consider the darkness. We have to think about the darkness this time of year. Last week, we talked about the subject of the Christmas story. John calls him the Word. 
the logos. In the beginning, the word was. In the beginning, the word was with God. And in the beginning, the word was God. So the subject of the Christmas story is eternal. He's eternally the son. And he's the eternal God. The miracle of Christmas is that this glorious eternal word became a human being in the person of Jesus to be our savior. He's the subject of the story. And today we're looking at the setting of the story. In other words, where did this take place? Well, John tells us, look at John 1. John chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible and want to turn there, there's some Bibles there in front of you. It's on page 833 in that Bible. Where did this take place? John 1, verse 4. In him, in the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skip down to verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So according to this, the setting of the Christmas story is the world. The, the word world is mentioned four times in verses nine and 10. And, and there's something specific that John wants us to see about the world. He wants us to see its darkness. When John says world, he's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about the globe. He's specifically talking about humanity, human affairs, He's talking about humanity and rebellion against God. Humanity seeking to live independently of God. We said last week that the first 18 verses of John are a theology of Christmas. And so if last week's verses gave us a Christology, a theology of Christ, then we could say that this week's verses give us an anthropology of sorts a theology of humanity trying to live independently of God, trying to live apart from his light. So I want us to see three things in our verses today. First, cosmic darkness. Cosmic darkness. In other words, darkness in the world, broadly speaking. But then I want us to see personal darkness. In other words, darkness in our own souls. And then thirdly, I want to end with good news, light in the darkness light in the darkness. Let's look at cosmic darkness first. Look again at verses nine and 10. John one, verse nine. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. How did we get to this point? where human beings would not know their creator, the one who made them, where people would not recognize the one who made them. Where did this kind of darkness come from? Well, to answer that question, you gotta go back to the beginning of the story. Listen to the first few verses from Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So there was darkness before creation. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, God spoke a word, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So the first thing that God created was light. Isn't that great? <laughs> the first thing that God made was light. The first thing that happened in creation was that he, he overcame the darkness with light. And he called the light good and he made a distinction between light and darkness. He made a separation between them. And then God went on creating everything else by his word. Keeps In Genesis 1, God said, God said, God said, and everything was created, culminating in his crown creation, humanity. And at the end of creation, God said at the end of Genesis 1, this is very good. In other words, I love what I did here. <laughs> it's all good. It's very good. Then we come to Genesis 3, two chapters later, and another character is int introduced into the story. It's the serpent, but we know that it's not just a snake, it's Satan. And Satan's name literally means adversary. He opposes God. And the way that Satan opposes God specifically in Genesis 3 is he challenges God's word. His logos. Satan says, did God actually say, did he actually tell y'all you couldn't eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And so he tries to drive a wedge between God and the man and the woman by destroying their trust in God's word, his logos. And so we know what happens. He deceives them, he tempts them, and they sin. And then we know what happens after they sin. They run and hide. They run and hide. Genesis 3, verse 8, I think maybe the saddest verse in the entire Bible. God's walking in the garden in their, in their midst, and it says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. They hid from God. They, they ran for the cover of darkness. They didn't want to be in the light anymore. They didn't want to be exposed. So they ran for darkness. And darkness was reintroduced into God's perfect creation. Ever since then, humanity has been living in what C.S. Lewis called the Shadowlands. What a great des description of the world as it is today. The Shadowlands. It's not as dark as it could be. We couldn't survive in total darkness, but we're in the shadows. The light is dim. It's hard to see things clearly. So that was the sequence. Satan, then sin, then shadow lands. That's how we got to the point where we are in John 1, where he could say in verse 10, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. They did not recognize their maker, even though he was standing right in front of them. Ever since Genesis 3, the world has been sitting in darkness. Darkness. Our friend, Bob Thune, uh, who's a pastor, many of you know, he talks about how darkness impacts every aspect of our humanity. He says, our insight is darkened. So we don't discern rightly. Our reason is darkened. So we don't comprehend truth as we ought to. Our wills are darkened. So we don't choose the right things. In fact, sometimes we do the very thing we don't wanna do. Can you relate to that? Our hearts are darkened. So we don't love rightly. We, we, we end up loving the, 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 right, the wrong things strongly and the right things weakly. And he says our impulses 
are darkened. So we don't instinctively do what is good. Often our default impulse is toward that which is destructive or selfish or even evil. The world sits in darkness. We sing this this time of year. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. The word pining means languishing in the darkness. And we know that darkness has invaded our world in all sorts of ways, just a few examples. In the past two centuries, 20th and 21st century, 200 million people have died because of war. 200 million. In 2021, over 107,000 Americans died of a drug overdose. Two thirds of those deaths involved synthetic opioids like fentanyl. 20% of American adults experience some form of mental illness. $50 billion is stolen from American businesses every year by their own employees. What's up with that? One of the largest pornography websites in the world gets over 100 million visits a day. 64,000 new visitors every minute. One in five high school students reports that they've been bullied at school. One in six have been bullied online, leading to fear, depression, even suicide. This is darkness. We should weep over these things. When John says in verse nine that the true light was coming into the world, this is the kind of world that he means. He means a broken world, the unbroken world coming into total brokenness, like the redeemer stepping into the ruins. And you'd think the world would have thrown a party like finally a savior is here. Get the party hats, the streamers, let's throw a party and welcome him. But they didn't. They didn't throw a party. They didn't welcome Jesus. And according to verse 10, they didn't even recognize him. Worse than that, right after he was born, somebody tried to kill him, King Herod. And then throughout his public ministry, we know that he was hounded, he was repeatedly challenged, he was slandered, he was targeted, and Jesus wasn't surprised by any of this. He said in John chapter seven, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. This was the world Jesus came to save, a world that hated him. D.A. Carson says that John 3.16, when it says, for God so loved the world, he says that's not so much an endorsement of the world (laughs) and how lovable it is. He says that's a testimony of the character of God, the love of God. His love is great because he loves his enemies. He loves those who hate him. The world, according to John, is a dark place. It's humanity in rebellion against God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, the whole world, world lies in the power of the evil one. In other words, the dark Lord behind the world system is Satan himself, the one who challenged God's word, his logos, and opposed it in the very beginning. Remember the sequence? Satan, then sin, then shadowlands. That's the setting of Christmas, the shadowlands. But darkness is not just something out there, out there in the world. Darkness actually is also in here. 
It's in me too, in my own heart. Darkness is not just cosmic, it's also personal. Which is the second thing I want us to see here, personal darkness, personal darkness. Look at verse 11. I want you to see how John moves from talking about the whole world to talking about something that hits a little closer to home. Verse 11. John 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Do you see how personal this is? Can you feel the sadness of this verse? That the people who more than anyone else should have recognized Jesus, like the people who more than anyone else in the whole world should have welcomed him, his own people, even they rejected him. It'd be like a favorite son returning home from a military deployment and his own family rejecting him. They don't invite him in the house. They don't offer him a meal. They don't even recognize him. Worse than that, they are unwilling to be convinced that they're his family. He's like, mom, dad, it's me, I'm home. And they're like, I don't think we know you. Hit the road. See, God sends his word to his own people and they do exactly what the rest of the world does. They choose darkness over light. So apparently, according to this, even those who have been given much light can still have darkness in them. Apparently, those who have been entrusted with the oracles of God, it says in Romans 3, who've seen God's glory, who are familiar with his covenants, who worship him, who know his promises, even those people can choose darkness over light. And I think there's something here for us to consider as Christians, because as Christians, we have been given much light, haven't we? We've been illumined by the word of God, but it's still possible, according to this, for us to choose darkness. So I think we should never look down our noses at the world like we're somehow immune to darkness. Like, I'm glad I'm like, not like those people out there. Because apart from the grace of God, we would not choose God. Left to ourselves, we would always choose self over God. Like left to ourselves, we would choose darkness over light. And so Christmas for us is not just a holiday that we celebrate once a year. Christmas is something we desperately need all year long because the incarnation of God's word is our only hope to overcome darkness in our own lives. Now, what are some ways we might choose darkness as Christians? I think there's a ton. I can think of a bunch. I'm just gonna mention three that were easy for me to think of because I, I experience all these things in my own life. The first way we might choose darkness is the darkness of hiding. Hiding. Light exposes who I really am and who I really am is not always pretty. And so naturally I wanna hide those parts of me that are embarrassing. I avoid the light. Jesus talked about this dynamic in John chapter three, listen to what Jesus said in John three. Jesus said, and this is the verdict, the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his works should be exposed. So I don't want embarrassing and shameful things to be exposed, so I'm tempted to hide those things in the shadows. I'm tempted to keep those parts of my life in the darkness. 
problem is that's where sin grows. Sin's a whole lot like mold. It thrives in the darkness. Sin grows in the hidden places. It grows behind the walls, right? Where nobody sees it. Where nobody knows the real me. That's where sin flourishes. But true freedom, true life change takes place in the light, out in the open. We heard this in our assurance of pardon today from 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1 verse 7, listen to this. If we, that's us, walk in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. See, you can't have true fellowship with me if you don't know the real me and I don't know the real you. But if we walk in the light with one another, we can actually have true fellowship with one another. And not only that, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. See, the light of Christ doesn't bring condemnation, it brings cleansing. Isn't that great? It brings the freedom of being fully known, yet fully accepted. We all want that. We wanna be fully known and yet fully accepted. And in the light, we have that in Christ. So we don't have to hide anymore. We can come out of darkness. A second way we might choose darkness in our life is the darkness of self-rule, self-sovereignty, self-legislation. Because, you know, maybe I just wanna live however I wanna live. I, I don't want somebody shining light trying to show me a better way. I wanna do it my way. I see the light as a threat to my sovereignty. And when I act like that, I'm acting just like King Herod. I'm the king of my own little realm and I don't want another king in charge. So I hate the light. I wanna snuff out the light. Listen, whenever we give in to the instincts of our flesh, our natural selves, whenever we give in to the impulses of our natural selves, rather than living under the kingship of Jesus, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we are likely choosing darkness. We're choosing darkness. An example of this in my own life would be uh, anger. And I don't mean righteous anger. I don't mean anger at the things we ought to be angry at, like injustice of the, of the world. I mean anger about just silly things, stupid little things in my life. That's where anger flares up for me, like anger in traffic, right? Some guy's following a little too closely behind me. Uh, he's riding my bumper and that makes me angry. And I want him to know that I'm angry. So I brake check him, <laughs> give him the stink eye in the rear view mirror, right? In that moment, I give in to the impulses of my flesh because my realm has been threatened and I, I want it to be known. Ed Welch, who's a Christian counselor, says anger is a sign of kingdom allegiances. It shows a temporary alignment with the devil himself. Excuse me? <laughs> it shows a temporary alignment with the kingdom of darkness. In other words, self-rule, self-sovereignty is darkness. Because as Christians, we're under the sovereignty, the kingship, the lordship of Jesus, not self. One way, other way I'll mention that we might choose darkness over light. We might choose the darkness of self-righteousness. I think it's easy to see the darkness in my badness. Um, but there can actually be darkness in my goodness, in my morality, if 
I'm using my goodness to justify myself. Like, because if I'm trusting in my own goodness to justify myself or to make myself acceptable, then I actually want a little darkness around me because it makes me look better. It, it highlights my goodness. Self-righteousness thrives on comparison, doesn't it? Like, look how good I am compared to these guys. And so if I'm self-righteous, then I don't want a greater light shining on me, showing me that I'm not as really good as I think I am. Our Christmas tree is up in our house right now. I love it. I love to look at it at night when all the lights are out in, in, in the house because the tree lights shine brightly and they drive back all the darkness in, in the room. I love that tree at night. But if you look at our Christmas tree in the morning, uh, in, in the mornings, we have these big uh, windows that face east and the sun shines brightly in those windows, especially this time of year. Uh, because the sun is lower in, in the sky. And so if you look at our Christmas tree in the mornings, it doesn't look like it's even on. You can't even see the lights because there's a greater light. It's 93 million miles away. But the brilliance of that light makes the tree lights seem dim. That's how the righteousness of Christ outshines our self-righteousness. Like compared to him, our righteousness looks like darkness. When we choose to trust in our own righteousness instead of his righteousness, we're choosing darkness. We're choosing darkness. So there's darkness in the world, cosmically. There's darkness in us, personally, things like hiding and self-rule and self-righteousness. And the problem is we can't drive out the darkness on our own. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much self-improvement, self-effort we give to it, we can't make the darkness go completely away. We need a light outside of us to come and drive back the darkness. And the good news of Christmas is that the light has come. The light has come. Let's end by looking at light in the darkness. Look at verse five, skip back up to verse five, and we'll end just by looking at this beautiful little verse. Verse five. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's beautiful. It's a great verse for all of this season. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I just wanna say three things about this little verse. First, according to this verse, the word who we talked about last week, the logos, is also called the light. He's called the light. What's the first thing the word did in creation? He drove back the darkness. What's the first thing the word does in redemption or salvation? He drives back the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Donald Miller talks about how this light metaphor that we see throughout the Bible is just genius. Listen to what Donald Miller says. He says, consider the complexity of light. We don't see light, we see what it touches. It's more or less invisible made from nothing, just purposed and focused energy, infinite in its power, never tiring if fired into a vacuum. How fitting then for God to create an existence, light, then use it as a metaphor, as if to say, here is something entirely unlike you outside of time, infinite in its power and thrust. Here is something you can experience, but that you cannot fully understand. See, we say Jesus is the light, but what is, light is so mysterious. What do we mean by that? Because what is light? 
Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Is it both? What, what is it? Light is difficult to fully understand, but we see the effects of light and we know we need it. We know we can't live without it. When we say that Jesus is the light of the world, we're saying something that is simultaneously simple yet incomprehensible. It's beautiful. We can experience Jesus, but we can't adequately explain him. He's the light. Second thing we see here in this verse, verse five. We see that the light shines in the darkness, and I just want you to catch that that's present tense. It doesn't say the light shone in the darkness. It says that he sh it shines in the darkness. He's shining now. He shines on. So that means the miracle of the Christmas story is not just a past memory. The Christmas story is a present reality that intersects my life right now. When I became a Christian in the past, I said, Jesus, I trust you. Shine your light into my darkness. You're the light of the world. But that's also how I live as a Christian now, in the present. Jesus, I trust you. Shine your light into my darkness and drive it out. And he will because he shines on. He shines now. Here's the last thing I want you to see in verse five. The darkness has not overcome the light. That's our great hope. The darkness has not overcome the light. The light of the world became flesh and dwelt among us. And here in the world, which is the setting of the Christmas story, dark forces were allied against him. Satan, sinful humanity, conspired against him. And we know what happened. They arrested him. They tried him. They crucified him. They buried him. And it looked like darkness had won. But darkness can actually never overcome light because darkness is not its own thing. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is simply the absence of light. So light will always drive back the darkness. And so in this glorious explosion of light, Jesus, who had been dead, was raised to life, and now he lives in glory. He shines right now. When the Apostle John, who wrote this, uh, encountered the risen Christ, he also wrote Revelation. And do you know what he said about the risen Christ in Revelation chapter one? This is how he described him. He said, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So the word of God who became flesh is now shining forever as the risen Christ. The light who came to a dark world on that first Christmas still shines on. He still shines on. Hallelujah. Let's thank him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.